0: Want us for a moment to uh, just let those truths that we just sang fall in our hearts just for a moment as we pray. The gospel is not just for the lost, the gospel is good for our hearts. And as I pray, would you focus on the gospel this morning? Would you focus on what Jesus Christ has done for you? What he rescued you from? If you're like me, I was saved as a six-year-old little boy. And so I've generally walked with him. Tried to be a good person most of my life. But I can't help but wonder, what did God save me from? Many of you grew up like that. Some of you came to Christ as an adult and you know what he saved you from. But let that thought just settle on our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me in a prayer of thankfulness for the blood of Christ? Lord, we thank you this morning. That you shed your blood for us. And God, that many of us here have been called to faith in you. And you have declared us righteous by your own efforts. God, we thank you for that. Help us to see your gospel in a fresh way as we start 2024 this morning. And we pray it for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I wonder this morning, what is the thing that God wants most from you in 2024? What does God want most from you this year? If you had asked me that question for the first 35 years of my life, I probably would have responded. God wants me to be more disciplined. God wants me to read my Bible more. God wants me to pray more. God wants me to share the gospel more. If you get to know me very well at all, you will find out very quickly that I am a rule follower. If you play golf with me, I'm not going to take an extra long putt. Uh, I'm probably not even going to take a mulligan. You can take a mulligan. That's fine. I have grace for you. But for myself, I'm a rule follower and I'm not going to take a mulligan. Uh, You may feel guilty about that, but I'm not going to take one. You can have it. Uh, If I hit it out of bounds, I'm going to take the penalty stroke. Now, that's partly because if I beat you, I want to know that I really beat you, okay? I want to have grounds. I'm not going to brag about it, but in and of myself, I want to know that I beat you, okay? So I'm a rule follower. It's in my nature. And my spiritual life is the same. I try to do what I'm supposed to do, and I try not to do what I'm not supposed to do. And so growing up, in my mind, my spiritual life came down to a list of do's and don'ts. I read my Bible this week, check. I prayed every day, check. I gave an offering, check. I shared my faith with someone this week, check. And if I checked off all of the boxes, then I felt good about myself. And consequently, when I came to church on Sunday, I'm pretty sure God felt good about me as well. But on the flip side... If I didn't do well, if I didn't read my Bible or pray, if I didn't give an offering, if I didn't share my faith, then I felt ashamed, and I felt like God was angry with me. And so for the first 35 years of my life, that's the way I lived. And honestly, it created in me a vicious cycle of pride and shame. Pride when I did well, and shame when I didn't. Now, at the same time, I fully believe that I was a true believer. I was a Christian. I gave my life to Christ at the age of six. And I can look back over my life since that point and I can see God's hand with me. I can see God working in my life. There is no doubt that God started working in me even as a child. But still, my walk with Him consisted of a list of do's and don'ts. But seven years ago now, by God's grace, my spiritual life was totally radically transformed. And the thing that transformed it was something that I had known from the very beginning but had forgotten. When I was 35, I rediscovered the gospel. Sure, I had believed it for all those years. I had believed that Jesus was he lived a perfect life, he died on a cross in my place, he laid inside my tomb, he rose again on the third day. I believed all of those truths with my heart. I believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. I believed that. But to be totally transparent with you this morning, those truths had very little impact on my daily life. Outside of trying to be obedient, because I knew that He had given his life for me, and so I owed my life back to him. I knew that. Outside of that, though, the gospel was merely the way to get to heaven. The gospel for me was only the entry right into Christianity. Even though I knew the gospel, I still had a legalistic heart. I had a religious heart that was focused on doing religious things. I went on mission trips. I lived a clean life. Whenever I could muster up the courage to do it, I shared my faith. I was really good at doing religious things, but the trouble was that religion was not changing my heart. I did all of the right things, but my heart still loves self more than anything else. And the truth is that all of the good things I did really came out of a self-centered mindset. I wasn't reading my Bible because I loved God. I was reading my Bible because I wanted to earn God's favor. So ultimately, I read my Bible for my own benefit so that God would be happy with me. I prayed, but my prayer life consisted of requests that would ultimately benefit me. I went on mission trips because that's what good Christians do. I avoided certain sins because that's what was expected of me. You could have looked at my life from the age of six all the way to 35 and said, He is a good Christian. But I still had a heart that was turned in on itself in many ways. This is what religion does. It creates good behaviors and regulates bad behavior, but it does not change our hearts. Religion places sinful beha- replaces sinful behaviors with right behaviors. But the only trouble is that religion never gets at the root problem. The root problem in all of our lives, in my life, in your life, in your children's lives, the root problem in all of our lives is essentially not a behavior problem, it is a heart problem. Now I asked you earlier at the beginning what God wants most from you in 2024. And chances are that many of you, and maybe even most of you, immediately thought about some behavior that you needed to stop or start. But think about this a second. In Matthew chapter 22, an expert in the religious law comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Now Jesus himself said that the thing God wants most from you is to love God with all of your heart, soul and mind. Now listen to me. What God wants most from you in 2024 is not your money, it's not your time, it is your love, it is your heart. Now, God may command us and lead us to give those things, and He will do that in in many circumstances in our lives day to day, but the reality is what He wants most from you is not the things that you can give Him or the behaviors that you should do and not do. What He wants most from you is you. He wants relationships. What He wants is your heart. He wants you to love Him. You see, our deepest root problem is not a behavior problem. It is a heart problem. Because here's the truth. Even though we know what God wants most, namely to love Him with heart, soul, and mind, we cannot command ourselves to love Him. Because the truth about love is that love cannot be commanded. Now, all of our single guys in the room this morning, wouldn't it be good if you could command someone to love you? That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? But love doesn't work that way. Love is a response. And this is where the gospel comes in. The only way that your heart and mind will ever love God is to see God's love first for us in the gospel. That's the way our hearts come to life with love for God. 1 John four nineteen says, We love Him because He first loved us. Love is a response. Our love for God works the same way that my love for my wife works. I don't love my wife because one day I decided to command myself to love her. I love her because one day I saw her beauty and my heart burst to life with thoughts of her. And the more I know of her, the more my love grows for her. My love for her is Absolutely, from beginning to end, a response to the beauty that I see in her physically and as a wife and as a mother. Love enters into our hearts from the very first first moment as a response to beauty. And then love grows in our hearts as we continually behold that beauty. Does that make sense? That's the way love works. So what we all need in 2024 is not simply... To read the Bible more or pray more, what we all need in 2024 is to behold the beauty of God in the face of Jesus more in 2024. Then and only then will we love God more. So this morning, I want to ask the question, how does the gospel transform us? I think many of us think of the gospel as the way we get saved, and it is that. But it is so much deeper. It is the power of the Christian life. And so this morning... How do we grow as Christians? How does the gospel transform us? Well, there's generally two, two possibilities here. We either grow by means of religious change, or we grow by means of gospel or heart change. And so look with me this morning at John chapter 15 and look in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Here's the truth about what Jesus is saying in these verses. The only way that we will ever grow in our spiritual lives is to abide in Him. Let that sink in. Our hearts aren't truly transformed by working harder or being more disciplined. Discipline is good and necessary, but discipline alone does not equal a changed heart. We do not grow by working harder as Christians. We grow by focusing on Jesus. Jesus said this. These are his words. Now let me paint a clearer picture for you here than our English translation does. The word abide in these verses is the Greek word "meno." "Meno" means to make your home in. So essentially what Jesus is saying is that we are to make our home in him. What do we do with a home? Well, it's a place that we stay. It's the place that we dwell. It's the place that we come back to day after day after day. And he goes on in verse 6 and he says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Real quickly, this is talking about false believers. People who say they know Christ, but there's no real life change. There's no love for Christ in them and there's no fruit produced through their lives. Look in verse 7. If you abide in me, or you make your home in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you're a a person who underlines verses in your Bible, underline verse 9. This is a key verse. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the key to understanding the gospel on a whole new level. Jesus said, in the same way that the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. How does the Father love Jesus? Could he possibly, in any way, love Jesus more than he already does? I mean, Jesus was perfect. He never had an evil thought. Everything he did pleased his Father. The Bible says that he was obedient to the Father to the point of death on the cross. God the Father's love for his Son is limitless. And in the same way, Jesus said, so I have loved you. Here's the truth of the gospel. In Christ, the love that the Father has for Jesus is the same love that he has for you. For those of us who believe the gospel, listen. Our status has completely changed. We used to be enemies of God. But now we are beloved sons and daughters of God. When God thinks of you in Christ, he says this. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Our status has changed. And here's the good news of the gospel. We didn't do anything to earn it. In Christ, we now have all of the love and the favor of God. Listen to me. Do you really think... That you reading the Bible this week and praying faithfully will add to the righteousness of Jesus? Never. But His righteousness has been given to us, imputed to us as a free gift. And so now all of what Jesus earned is now a part of our lives. All of the favor of God has been given to us. Listen to me this morning. God If you are in Christ, God could not love you more than he already does. And here's the great news about the gospel. There is nothing you could do that would ever make him love you less. You can't change the way that God feels about you because Jesus Christ and his righteousness earned your status for you. And so what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15 and verse 9 is that we must make our home... Come to it every day. Back to it every day. Remind ourselves of it continually. Make our home in that love. In order for us to be the kind of people that God desires us to be, we must make our home in His limitless love. Come back to it day after day after day. Remind ourselves of it continually. Listen, Christian. Quit trying to earn the favor of God. You already have it. Just live in it. So now... How does that truth help us grow as a Christian? How does the gospel transform us? Well, walk with me through this train of thought that we see in John chapter 15. Here is the life changing power of the gospel that I experienced as a 35 year old man, and I've been praying all week that you would experience the same rediscovery of the gospel today. If you're taking notes, here's the first one The gospel awakens our soul to the love of Christ. Here's the difference between religious change and gospel change. Religious change is more of a mechanical change. You are adding things. You're adding new behaviors or new disciplines. Gospel change on the other hand is more of an organic natural change. Our behavior changes because we change. Here's the difference. Religion is a list of rules to be obeyed. And gospel the gospel is good news to be believed. Several years ago, before Natalie and I had children, we built a house. And our builder, as he was getting ready to pour the foundation, took a bulldozer and he pushed all of the topsoil off of our front, what would be our front lawn. And so he pushed it off of there and never replaced it. And so when we moved into the home, we couldn't get grass to grow in the front yard. And so because I'm such a good farmer and so smart, I took a tiller, I rented a tiller and brought it to our house and I tilled up our whole front lawn and I put seed down and we poured the water on it. For a whole month, we ran water. Our our water bill went from $40 the previous month to $300 that month. We watered that lawn well and green grass burst through the soil and very quickly it died. And we had a dust bowl in our front yard. Every time I would mow the, the front yard, it looked like a Texas dust storm. So we, we, we just, I totally messed it up. Why did I mess it up? Well, I ignored the real problem. The problem with my lawn is that it did not have any nutrients or minerals that were needed to sustain real growth. It was just barren dirt. It had no life-giving potential in it at all. All I had done was mix up the dirt. Listen, this is exactly how the gospel or how religious change works. Religion just mixes things up. It tells you to stop doing certain behaviors and start doing other more religious behaviors. And it works just like me tilling up my lawn. It doesn't really address the problem. It just mixes up the activities of our lives and we look more religious, but we still have hearts that don't love God. But the gospel works differently. Religion is a list of rules to be obeyed, but the gospel is good news to be believed. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to do anything. It's all already been done for us. All we have to do is trust it by faith. Listen, the gospel doesn't seek first to change your behavior. The gospel instead seeks first to awaken your heart to God's love for you. Here's how the gospel works. At some point... Whenever we hear the gospel, maybe it's from a preacher in a pulpit, or it's from a friend or a family member. Maybe it's the very first time we hear the gospel, or maybe it's the 500th time that we hear the gospel. But at some point, the Holy Spirit of God awakens our hearts and minds to the gospel. And all of a sudden, we understand it like never before. Where there had been no conviction of sin, now we feel the weight of our transgressions. And we feel the gravity of God's righteous judgment aimed at us. And simultaneously, we see Jesus. We see Him taking our punishment. We see Him laying in our tomb. And our faith bursts to life as we all of a sudden know the power of the resurrection like never before. And the Holy Spirit of God awakens our hearts to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we see in Jesus a sweetness that we had never seen there before. And we see in His cross grace where in times past we had just seen a relic from history. It's like a man who understands with his mind that honey is sweet, but all of a sudden he tastes it for the very first time, and that honey bursts to life in his mouth. Religion is a list of rules to be obeyed. The gospel is good news to be believed. The Holy Spirit of God awakens our heart to see the beauty and glory and majesty and love of God in the gospel. That's the first step. Brings us to life in the gospel. Number two, continue this train of thought. The love of Christ for us produces love for Christ in us. Naturally, love for Christ begins to grow in our hearts. This begins at the point of salvation. The first time we truly see the gospel, our hearts respond in love. But for many of us, honestly, the gospel's work stops there. I know it did for me for many years. Growing up, I knew the gospel, I believed the gospel, but I had never really considered its implications for the rest of my life. I just understood that it was the way that we go to heaven. But what I had to learn was that in order for love for God to grow in my heart, I needed to continually, over and over, see the love of God for me in the gospel. I needed to be reminded over and over and over again, listen, that I am accepted despite what I do. I am chosen, I am forgiven, I am new, I am adopted, I am joint heirs with Jesus. Everything he has is mine. and His status has now become mine. And it was only when I started preaching the gospel to, to myself that these truths set my heart ablaze with love for God. You see, here are two truths that we need to understand. First is that religion is about behavior change and the gospel is about heart change. Listen, I knew all of the right behaviors. But I was continually stuck in a cycle of pride and shame. At times I did well, but that led me to being prideful. And honestly, my pride led me to being judgmental of others. And then when I didn't do well, which was most of the time, I was ashamed of myself. And so I was stuck in this cycle of pride and shame. I was either prideful and judgmental, Or I was discouraged and felt useless. That's what religion did to me. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He said, the commandment that was meant to bring life, I found actually to be bringing death in me. The commandments of God that I was trying so hard to fulfill were good and right. But the truth is, they had no power to conquer sin in my life. I love what the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 2 of his letter to them. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. He told them that if they want to grow spiritually, they must learn to live in Christ. The Colossians were trying to live by a ton of commandments. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love And attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying to them, he says, if you want to grow, your growth comes from knowing Christ himself. Forget all these things you're trying to do to grow. It's all about knowing Christ. Now listen to me. Let's pause here. All the things we're doing to grow, Bible reading and prayer and all those things, those are essential parts of our growth as Christians. But we need to put them in the right perspective. And we'll get to that in just a moment. We're getting there, okay? But for now, let the gospel sink in. What Paul is saying is, Jesus himself is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. He is the mystery of God. He is how we grow. Verse 6 in that same chapter says this, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, what he says is: look, in the same way that you were saved, that you gave your life to Christ, what is that? That's by faith, seeing the gospel for the very first time, having your eyes and heart awakened to the gospel. In the same way that you were awakened to the gospel, so now walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Christian, you need to hear that this morning. In Christ, you are complete. You don't have to do anything to add to it. You are complete in Him. And then down in verse 20, he kind of wraps it up by saying this. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? That sounds like a list of do's and don'ts right there. He's saying, why are you submitting yourself to all of this stuff? And then he says, these things all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. He's saying, look, you're trying to do all this stuff to grow, and you're missing the whole point. In verse 23, he says, look, all of these things that you're trying to do, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. They look, they look righteous. They look wise. But they are self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body And these things, I want you to get this, let this sink in. These things have no value against fleshly indulgence. You want to defeat sin in your life? All of those things have no value apart from Christ. They will not help you. Being more disciplined, working harder. Those things will not help you defeat sin In your life. Listen, religion has the appearance of wisdom with the adherence of a list to a list of do's and don'ts and self discipline. But see if you don't find this to be true. Although you try to be disciplined, true joy and satisfaction many times still escapes you. Religion can tell you what to do, but only the gospel can give you the power to do it. Religion is great at telling us what is good and right. But only the gospel makes us love what is good and right. This is the gospel's power in our life. The more I see the beauty of God in the gospel, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the less I love sin. Love for God has, listen, it's broken sin's power in my life. Now, I'm not perfect. I still mess up. But there is a power surging through me day in and day out where I know I'm not a victim. I know I don't have to submit to that. Jesus Christ has brought new life to me. And it all came about because of the gospel. The love of Christ for us produces love for Christ in us. And then continue the train of thought. Number three. Love for Christ in us produces fruit through us. We do not... (coughs) Excuse me. We do not bear fruit... By focusing on bearing fruit. We bear fruit by focusing on Jesus. Look back at John 15 and verse 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The key to being to bearing spiritual fruit is not greater discipline. In 2024, you cannot simply say, I am determined to bear fruit. You cannot muster up self-will and resolve to bear fruit. No, fruit comes from naturally getting swept up into intimate encounters with Jesus. And again, we see the difference between religion and the gospel clearly here. Religion glorifies us as we seek to earn God's favor through obedience, but the gospel glorifies God as He produces fruit through us naturally. Listen, what religion boils down to is an attempt, an attempt To gain God's favor or blessings by doing things that we think please Him. But the gospel flips that idea on its head. Instead of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Now it's, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see, the first way of thinking is all about us. I do this, and so God's obligated to do this. But the second way of thinking is all about God. God has done this, and so now I'm going to do this. It's a response to who he is and what he's done. Charles Spurgeon illustrated the difference beautifully. He said that there was once a farmer who grew a carrot so big and beautiful that he thought to himself, only my king deserves a carrot like this. And so the next day, the farmer went to see his king and he presented him with this carrot. And he said, Oh, king, this carrot is the best and biggest carrot I've ever grown, and so I wanted to give it to you. I know it's not much, but it's the best that I have. So the king said to the man, Thank you so much for the carrot. I have a parcel of land next to yours. Since you are such a good farmer and steward of the land, I want to give you my land so that you can farm it as well. Now at the same time, the king's, in the king's court, there was a nobleman who witnessed the entire scene. And he thought to himself, if that's what the king will do for a carrot, what will he do for a real gift? And so the next day, the nobleman went and bought the most beautiful horse that he had ever seen in his life. And he went to the king and he said, Oh, king, this is the best and most beautiful horse I've ever owned. I want to give it to you because I love you so dearly. And the king said, thank you, and then went about his business. And the nobleman said, but king... Yesterday you gave away a parcel of land to a man who gave you a carrot, and I have given you much more than a carrot. And the wise king said, yes, but the farmer was giving the carrot to me. You gave the horse to yourself. Listen, religion has the appearance of wisdom, but in the end it's really just self-worship. It's really just a way to obligate God to do things for us because it's all about earning God's love and favor. But in the gospel, the whole motivation of our life changes. Religion glorifies self. The gospel glorifies God. In the gospel, we see the love of Christ. Our hearts respond with love for Christ. And then naturally, fruit is the result. The gospel is what makes the difference. Spiritual growth happens naturally as we make our home in God's love. Simply put, The more we view the gospel and meditate on the gospel, our lives begin to look more like the gospel. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What he's saying is the more we see Jesus, we become more and more like Jesus. Listen, the more we see him, the more we behold him, staring at him, gazing at him, looking deeply into the gospel, the more we become like him. And so the question is, if we do this, if we make our home in the gospel, what is the fruit of the gospel? What does that really look like? Well, let me give you a few examples. As we see the way Christ put himself second and put others first, we become less self-centered. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." As we see the forgiveness offered in the gospel, we become more apt to forgive. As we see the generosity in the gospel, we naturally become more generous. As we see the kindness of God in the gospel, we become more kind. The gospel naturally bears fruit in our lives that will always glorify God. And that's why Paul says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, as we behold the gospel, we become like the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 is a great example. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, as we make our home in the gospel, we will become better husbands. Listen, as we make our home in the gospel, we'll become better parents. We'll become better spouses and better employees. Because the gospel will bear its fruit in our lives. When our home is in the gospel, listen, our whole perspective changes. Listen, life is hard, isn't it? Life's difficult. some, Some of you have been through tragedy in the last year. Some of you have been through incredible sickness in the last year. Some of you have gone through and walked through dark, uncertain days. But listen, when our home is in the gospel, when it's what we come back to day after day after day, listen, we see a resurrected Savior. And everything is put into perspective. And we think, if God can do that, surely He can restore my marriage. If God can raise a man from the dead, cancer's not too big for him. If God can raise a man from the dead, the new cycle of the day isn't really that big a deal. The gospel totally changes our worldview. The gospel naturally produces fruit in our lives that glorifies God. And these things that I just mentioned are just a few of the fruits that God has. These things and a million others are the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And then very quickly, let's bring some application here. Number four, how do we make our home in the gospel? Practically, what does this look like? This is where some spiritual disciplines come in. We've got to see these in the right perspective, but this is where some spiritual disciplines come in. Jesus mentions in these verses three practices that we call spiritual disciplines. The first two are in verse 7. He says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. First spiritual discipline is spending time in the Word. Time in the Word communicates God's love to us. Listen, in 2024, as we spend time in this book, we go back to it over and over and over again in the next year, and we begin to look for Jesus. His love for us that we encounter in this Word will have its effect in our hearts. Now listen. Spending time in this word is not going to earn you any more righteousness before God. It's not going to earn you any more favor. It couldn't earn you more favor. You already have all the favor of God on your life. That came in Christ. But the way we grow and become more like him and grow in our love for him is to see his love for us in the gospel. It works the same way that a movie with a hero does. The more and more we see this hero come on the scene and save the day over and over and over again, the more pictures we see of this hero. By the end of the movie, don't we love the hero of the story? This is the same way the word works in our lives. It presents Jesus to us day in and day out, and we begin to grow in love for him. Listen, apart from this word, you will never see your love for God grow in any significant way. In the same verse, he says this, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The second spiritual discipline is prayer. Prayer communicates our dependence on God. Here's what this looks like in my life. As I spend time in the word and I meditate on the goodness of God, I am naturally compelled to pray God's word back to him. You ever done that? You pray God's word back to Him. You begin to claim promises and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that He's our rescuer. Thank you that He's our Savior. Thank you that He redeemed me and purchased me back. We see all these things in God's word and, and we begin to spend time in it and it propels us into a prayer life of intimacy with God. Prayer communicates our dependence on Him. Listen, without a prayer life that is fueled by the gospel, your intimacy and closeness with God will not be complete. Third spiritual discipline. Obedience communicates our love for God. He says this in verse 10. If you've got your copy of God's Word still open, look with me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In chapter 14, he said this. If you love me, you will obey me. Also in chapter 14, he says this Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Listen, our obedience to his commands is simply a display of our love for him. Obedience is not how we gain his love for us, it's how we display our love for him. Obedience is how we communicate our love for Him. To me, the best picture of this that I can relate to is it's like a child who goes to work with his father. In the moment, the child thinks that they are simply working for their father. But the older the child grows, and the more they look back on those times of working alongside their father, the more they realize that it wasn't so much about working for their father as much as it was about being with their father. And that's what obedience to God's commands does for us. I used to live and think that God was a relentless taskmaster, never satisfied and always demanding more. But now, because of what he did in me a few years ago and showed me the gospel and helped me rediscover the gospel again, day by day, I see God as a loving father who is saying to me, day, day in and day out, come walk with me today. Come just spend time with me. Come see my face. Not, I want you to stop doing this and start doing this. But I want you to see my face. I want you to know me. I want to show you who I am. I want you to see me. And that's why Jesus says what he does in verse 11. last verse we'll look at, but it's incredibly important. Look at it with me. He says this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christian, I don't know where you are today in your walk with Christ. I know where I was a few years ago and I know that it is entirely possible that you are doing all of the right things. But if you were honest today, there's not much joy in it. Psalm chapter 51, King David has really blown it. He's made some very bad decisions. But in Psalm 51, he cries out to God, Restore the joy of your salvation. Listen, this morning, as we prayed for these services and for you, that was our prayer. God, would you just restore the joy of your salvation today? Listen, I know it's easy to come to church and just do the deal. You're serving and you're faithful and you're, you're trying and you're working hard. And listen, those things don't go unnoticed. But the reality is, We can do all of the right things and not know the joy of of His salvation. We have to come back to the gospel. And so hear God's word today saying to you, come home to the gospel. Come back and make your home in my love for you. Come back to the gospel today and tomorrow and the next day and the next. Christian, this word is, is for you today. Stop striving And start resting. Rest in who He is and what He's done for you. And hear these words. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. He wants you to have fullness of joy. He wants you to experience total life satisfaction in Him. I want to ask you this morning. We're going to step into a moment of worship here just for a second you were handed uh, one of these little communion cups as you came in I would love nothing more for this to be a moment where we celebrate the gospel together before we do that you can hold on to that just for a second before we do that I want us to do something would you just bow your heads right where you are I want to lead us through just a moment where we really focus in on what God has done for us individually. I want you to think about the gospel for a moment. I want you to see Jesus. See Him bloody and battered and bruised, arms stretched wide, hanging on the cross for your sins and mine. See Him there. And then think about all of the sins in your life that his blood is covered. And think about what your life would be like if he had not pursued you. Let those thoughts just settle on you for a moment. And in the quietness and stillness of this moment, would you just voice a prayer to God of thanksgiving. Say, God, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for washing my sins away. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want you to look up at me. Take that cup. If you don't have one, by the way, would you just slip your hands? Our guys are back at the doors and they would love to be able to help you. If you didn't grab one as you came in, they'll come to you. <clears throat> I want you to take this cup. There are two tabs there. Turn it kind of upside down. The bread is on the bottom there. Just take that tab off. In response to the gospel this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to do this with us. I just want to ask you to focus on the broken body of Jesus Christ, that was broken for our sins. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, for us. Jesus, thank you that your body was broken because we had transgressed your law. Thank you for your broken body. And it's in Jesus' name I pray that. Amen. Now, in remembrance of that, would you take the bread? In the same way, would you take the cup this morning? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. By your wounds, we are healed. Your blood has washed us clean. And we now have the status of sons and daughters of God righteous, holy saints before you because of what you've done for us. Thank you for the blood this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray that. Amen. As we remember the blood this morning, would you take the cup? Now this morning, I know this is our invitation time, and if you need to give your life to Christ, I invite you to come in just a moment when we stand our pastors and counselors will be here if you need someone to pray with you I invite you to come but I want this, mo- this moment listen I don't want it to just be a moment where we're almost finished with the service and this is just what we do no listen the gospel leads us to worship and so we're singing I surrender all this morning what better song could we sing than to see the gospel and say to Jesus you can have it all you can have it all You're so good and so righteous, here's my whole life. Would you stand with us this morning and sing? Our pastors are here if you need to come.